We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. On this episode, I speak with Jennifer LeBlanc, who started out as a scientific researcher in Canada, but soon found she preferred doing research on people and their projects. She moved from writing about people to being part of corporate launches, having been bitten by the tech bug when she came to the Bay Area. In 2003, despite being told she was crazy for starting a business during a recession, she founded Think Results Marketing, recognized by the Silicon Valley Business Journal as one of the top 10 fastest growing companies in Silicon Valley back in 2017. Her experiences led her to share the 10 key elements she sees as essential for new companies in her book, Launching for Revenue, how to Launch a Product, Service, or Company for Maximum Growth, which she published in 2018. At the same time she was working on the book, she was drawn to the emerging movement of women taking on harassment in the tech industry. As a result, she collected and published a book of essays titled Changing Tides, Powerful Strategies for Female Founders. She also founded the Changing Tides Movement, which offers support networking, and resources for female founders to give them a safe space to exchange knowledge and learn strategies for finding funders. Now, let's get better together. Jennifer LeBlanc, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. So we know each other through Founders Network, which, uh, as everyone knows, is my, my goal is to uh, interview 194 people in uh, the San Francisco chapter, and I think I'm at six. <laughs> so you are, I think, our number seven, maybe, or eight. I'm not sure, but you, you're in the top 10. You're in the top 10. I'm which, honored. <laughs> which I really appreciate because <laughs> um, it's hard to spend the time and you know take the time to t- talk. Um, but part of the reason why we're doing this is get to know each other because it's, I think it's really important, especially in these times where – you know, I'd love to have coffee, but can't have coffee or we can have coffee over Zoom, which is what we're going to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I want to talk a lot about a couple of things that you're working on, uh, changing tides in particular and the book and some of what you're doing. But uh, before we do that, like I always like to say, um, why don't you tell us how you came to be doing what you're doing? You know, kind of the nickel tour. Okay. 
or the penny tour. It's, it's, a, it's a long tour, so I'll try to keep it short. Um, as I mentioned when we were first talking, um, I'm actually a Canadian born in Canada, so I was a scientific researcher before I moved to the US. Um, I did research on the Great Lakes and bioaccumulation in food webs. And then I've always been very interested. Well, I discovered through that process that I really detested lab work, like with a passion. Loved the field work, loved the after the actual research was done, communicating that out to the community and why research was important. So when I moved here to the US, I thought, well, I really always want to do this writing piece, and this communications piece, and I kind of have an opportunity right now because I can't really work. So how about I'll try that? So I did that and I was doing articles, interviewing researchers all over the world for Discover Channel Online, which was so fun. Wow, that does sound fun. I was, it was great. I loved it because I got to read all their papers and then pick their brains and ask them about kind of the next thing that they're working on. And because I was a scientist and most science journalists are not, they would actually open up to me about stuff they hadn't published yet, which was super great. Oh, you got the inside track. Oh, it was awesome. It was awesome. I loved it. It paid nothing, but I, I loved it. Um, and then I did a ghostwriting for um, local physicians, and I was editor of the local food co-op newsletter and the Puna Creek Council, which was trying to restore water to the creek so that we could have the salmon spawning again. Um, I was super busy. So that sort of began my journey into the communications world, and then I moved to Silicon Valley in the Bay Area, and I got tickled by the tech bug, and I absolutely fell in love because I got to spend my days doing what I love most, which is getting inside the minds of brilliant people and trying to understand what it is they're doing and making that understandable for the rest of the world. And I thought, I just want to do this. This that's is so super much important. Fun. Yeah, that's super important. So much fun. So I did that for a while. And then I launched a large division of PeopleSoft. And that was wildly successful. And I that was my first moment of like, oh, some marketing stuff actually works. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, Before most, that, most technical people are like, marketing, isn't that just like two drink minimum? And what do you guys exactly. do? <laughs> exactly. And that's kind of how I was because I was a scientist. And so I was kind of doing this communications thing, but I didn't really believe in it until I had this experience with people soft consulting division that was, you know, wildly successful and, you know, made millions and millions of dollars in the launch. And I thought, oh, something here. So then I went to Nectar Therapeutics and I launched Nectar Therapeutics, which is a biotech company. And then I thought, I just want to do this. I just want to launch companies. I don't want to do the everyday stuff. I just want to launch companies. I want to take them from, we have an idea. We want to move into a new market. We want to do something different. We want to launch a new product into a new market. I just want to do that part because that has the most, in my mind, complexity. And there's the most unknown. And there's a lot of um, anxiety. So I <laughs> enjoy that whole process of creating organizational structure out of chaos mm, yeah the so chaos, definitely yeah it's, it's, it's you know, all chaos <laughs> bringing the chaos into order right, right. like that yeah. whole process i love that part and and there's also a lot of it's not well defined how we talk about the company or the product at that point so i just thought i just want to do that so i opened think results marketing at that point um and you know 17 years later it's still going strong oh, wow i didn't know it was 17 years wow 17 years yeah yeah man and i've been ranked as you know one of the top agencies in silicon valley the last six years which makes my mom very happy cool um, that's great yeah. and the fastest growing private company in 2017 the 10th sorry the 10th fastest growing private company in, in 2017 which was a shock to me actually um, wow. so that was a great honor as well. So, you know, it seems to be going well, you know, most businesses fail between three and five years. So, you know, it's 17 years. I'm like, I'm pretty good. And, you know, in the sort of midst of the pandemic, it's also always been a remote organization. Oh. People thought I was like crazy when I opened this. As yeah. a organization. Now crazy. you're like they're a like, genius. <laughs> right. And they're like, why would you do that? I'm like, because then I can have access to a greater pool of talent. They can be anywhere in the world. I don't have to have someone full-time if they don't want to do that. They can do part-time, but they still have something to offer. Um, and I really wanted to create an agency that allowed people. What I saw when I was in corporate was I saw a lot of wasted creative energy. And not just wasted, but hidden. Because it's dangerous to make mistakes in a big organization. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. So I thought, I want to create an environment, a workplace for myself and then for others 
that allows us to bring our full creative resources to the experience, have fun, and do some awesome work with clients, mm -hmm. interesting clients. So that's really what was Think Results. Um, and I spent you know, the last 20 years really stifling myself to the problem of why is it that some companies are successful and others are not? Because mm -hmm. it's not the technology, because there's a lot of crappy technology out there. And there's a lot of great technology that never makes it to market. So as a scientist, I'm like, okay, there's something, what, what is, it's not the technology, so what is it? So that's what I've been studying essentially for the last 20 years. And that then became Launching for Revenue, my first book about, it's a 10 step framework about how to really look at your launch in a very structured scientific way. There's case studies and examples, things to do, what not to do, checklists, examples, self-assessments, each one of those 10 elements, because I've, over the years, I've seen that every single one of those launches that I've seen fail didn't hit one or more, usually more than one of those key elements. Hmm. And once I figured that out, I was like, I have to get this out to the world. So um, that was Launching for Revenue. And then in the midst of writing Launching for Revenue, I wrote two books in 2018. In the midst, of, I do not recommend that. In the midst of writing Launching for Revenue, the Me Too movement happened in Silicon Valley before it happened in Hollywood. Yes, yes, yes. I think it and was instead, that uh, was an Uber engineer, if I'm not mistaken, that wrote a medium piece. Before that. Before oh, that. So okay. It was before that. So wow. it was, um, there were a couple of uh, prominent VCs um, who shall remain nameless, but they're in the book. Um, basically, sexual harassment cases came out against them. Oh, Kleiner, per uh, Kleiner Perkins one. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yes, it was after the Ellen Powell trial. After the, okay, yeah, so, okay. Yes, after the Ellen Powell trial, that sort of began a lot of things. And so I realized in that moment, first of all, everybody went quiet. Twitter was quiet, Facebook was quiet, LinkedIn was quiet. I'm like, I literally was like, is my phone broken? Mm -hmm. Why is nobody saying anything about this? This is kind of a big deal. And then Reed Hoffman came out sort of on the fourth day and wrote the decency pledge about we, you know, well, we will all agree that we will not harass women who come in to seek funding. Okay. I mean, props to him for saying something. I agree. Like, that isn't that just humanity? <laughs> but do we have to sign a document that says that? Yeah, that's bad. Yeah. Yes. And I thought, you know, I knew at that point that there was a group of, of women who were working on kind of who watched the Ellen Powell trial happen and had watched that and were trying to make some changes. And that eventually became All Raise, Founders for Change, you know, turned into All Raise, the office hours, et cetera. And that I'd done a lot of work with Microsoft Ventures, now Microsoft for Startups, advising companies there, doing go-to-market strategy work with them. And I thought, you know, of the female, a few female founders that I had worked with, if they do everything right in launching for revenue, and they usually do, they still may fail because of the environment in which they function. And so I knew their experiences. I knew these VCs who were trying to make changes angels who are trying to make changes, ecosystem partners. And I thought someone needs to shine a light on all of these, you know, disparate things that are happening because there's a bigger vision here. And for weeks I was like, somebody else needs to do something. <laughs> Not me. Not, <laughs> Not me. You, I'm sorry. writing a book. I'm busy. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, eventually through a long conversations with my coach, became clear to me that I needed to do it. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. I decided that instead of me writing another book, I would create a collection of essays from these individuals because that's going to be so much easier. Yeah, no, it wasn't. <laughs> Never is. I mean, it wasn't easier, but it was much better yeah. because they all had a different perspective. Mm -hmm. um, and then I was able to you know, knit those pieces together but they each came with their own perspective about how do we change the fact that women get, you know, two, 2.2, 2.8, pick the year, percent of VC funding. Way it's under, ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's single digit, way below single five. And I always right. say it's like, yeah, they, women get 1% of the venture funding. And if you're a minority woman, you get 1% of the 1%. It's just, oh, yeah. it's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's ridiculous for if you're a woman of color. Um, it's ridiculous if you're a woman, but it's even worse if you're a woman of color. And then, you know, make up 9% of the actual VC partners who are writing checks. Mm -hmm. So they each sort of tackled that question, like, how do we change this tide? And then that became the second book I wrote in 2018. 
And then that begat the Changing Tides movement. Mm -hmm. Because I realized through writing that book, what I heard from female founders was, we need more resources, not just we do need more money. Yes. And I am working with funders as well and trying to create more folks who are interested. You know, Mark Cuban just announced today that he's going to step in and create um, some opportunity for folks who've missed out on the PPP funds because they didn't have relations with banks, which is typically women and underrepresented founders. Um, Magic Johnson did the same thing earlier this week. Um, so also working with investors who are going to change their minds and get more women into the investment pool is really important. Um, but then also working with the founders to create places where women can come together to create community because it's a something that men do. They go on a golf course and that's where business gets done. Mm -hmm. um, but also it is a competitive advantage for women because we naturally connect and create community. Oh yeah. So I, I just see it as my role to create a place for that to happen. Oh, totally. No. Oh. And then COVID hit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, plans change. Pivot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we had this great big dinner and um, it's, you know, on the sides of startup grind, we had over 75 female founders come and we had a great dinner and just connected with each other and it was a safe place and it was fabulous. And then two weeks later, you know, we were shut down. So we rapidly had to pivot. Yeah. You know, like we had always had some virtual events, but not all. So we had to make a quick pivot to figure out how do we create the sense of community connection for our female founders through Zoom. Yeah. And be safe, which was a big challenge for the yeah. first year. Yeah. It's it's a big it's a big issue. Yeah. They're they're definitely on top of it now, but it was you know, we've we've had some problems. So lots. <laughs> lots. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was on the call with um, Kara Swisher and Jessica Lesson from the information early on um, in this sort of whole pandemic. And they had they put it a public link because that's what we we're all doing, you know, eight weeks ago. And there were 300 people on the call. And this ended up in the New York Times. Um, but we were, you know, porn bombed with very, like, very degrading graphic porn. Um, but just, you know, you... you it throws you, right? You're sitting there, you're having this conversation and they're talking about, not surprisingly, how women are and female founders are portrayed in the media. Yeah. So this was very specifically targeted, this kind of attack. Oh, yeah. No, it's... Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you see it and you're just like, like your brain doesn't quite know what to think of it because no. it's just a lot of context. It's and a, then, It's a shock. Yeah. And then they just had to shut down the call because, you know, they couldn't get them out of the rooms and just shut down the call. But you know, that, that kind of thing is unfortunately not that uncommon. <laughs> no, I mean, they had a, it was the, it was an East Bay company or East Bay municipality. And I don't remember the name, the, 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 the city, but they were having a, a council meeting. It oh, was no. public and there was kids on it and someone zoom bombed it or whatever bombed it and put that was showed child porn and, it, it, I mean, yeah. There's no. It, it's just appalling at so many levels, and yeah. yeah, there's some idiots out there, idiots, and that should be thrown in jail. Well, and they have time on their hands apparently right now, as if they didn't before, but they have more time. So you know that was a, yeah. a not only pivoting to virtual, but then having to because it is a a female based organization. Then of course we're very heavily targeted. Yeah. So, you know, we were had to be extremely and we still are extremely careful with how we like everyone has to register and then you get the link and the link has a password and we have like multiple layers yeah. of security. No, no. And, and Keep it safe. Yeah. And it's it's unfortunate that you have to do that, but you have to do that. I mean, we had a one of our calls, we have a happy hour that we do every Tuesday and we started this in the midst of the pandemic kind of as a place to kind of go, OMG, like yeah. You know, we have people who have travel businesses, who are bartenders, who are in the service industry, you know, business decimated. So, you know, in the midst of all that, I think a few weeks in, I got a note from my marketing program manager and she said, this guy and the more I research him, like, I don't, it's not looking good, you know? So we had to, you know, quickly change the link for them, you know, a, a couple hours before the meeting, reissue the link to everybody. Um I reached out to him and said, you know, you realize this is a meeting for female founders and folks who identify as women. And, you know, maybe you're in transition. I didn't say all that, but you know, there, there could yeah. be any number of reasons why 
you may have a man's name, but you're not, um, never heard anything back from that person. So I feel like we made the right decision, but we had to quickly say like, are we excluding someone because we're being nervous or are we being safe? Like, yeah, it's it's been tough. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I mean, there's no real good answer to that other than erring on the side of safety. And if, and if it, look, if it, if they get all upset, they get upset. I, I I think you'd rather have someone upset from being excluded than someone in that shouldn't be there that's going to exploit the situation. Right. And that's what we decided. And we said, you know what, if there's good reason for her to be there next week and, you know, she's using her, you know, boyfriend or her husband's email or she's in transition or whatever, then she can come next week. You know, we do this every week. Yeah. So yeah. decide on that. But, you know, it's been things like that that I wasn't really... <laughs> expecting you know i'm like i'm still trying to figure out how to do you know we have these circles that we run Mm -hmm. once a month which are you know basically a mastermind slash incubator group and with female founders and we had we were going to have them at microsoft reactor in san francisco and then i had a virtual one well now they're both virtual so i mean you know that's been enough to kind of figure that out and then on top of that we have these sort of security and defense things that we've had to start doing that would be a lot easier in person oh yeah Yeah, it's much easier because we're in a physical location and there's like, there's a list and there's people at the door that will manage that. And, you know, we become the the doorman. Yeah. No, you have to become a virtual doorman. Yeah. 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 And we did have that actually. I had that um, on the, the, I think after that happened with um, Jessica Lesson and Kara Swisher, I actually had my husband sitting on the call and silently because he's a network engineer and an IT guy. And I said, I just, can you just be the doorman? Like if anything comes in that shouldn't get rid of them. And if that doesn't work, kill the call. Yeah. And we've now sort of gotten more comfortable. Like we're kind of our own doorman now, but you know, literally had to sort of call in extra, you know, male power to make sure that we were safe. Yeah. Or the skill, the skill set that you just happen to have access to. (laughs) But no, I I see your point. I see your point. And it's, it is, I mean, it's such a problem for female founders and, and actually generally minorities of all kind of however yes. you identify, because I mean, the venture capital world is a bunch of tall white guys. Yeah. And it's went, a power imbalance, right? And it's I mean, a this, huge power imbalance, right? Yeah, these things happen whenever there's a significant power imbalance. Yeah. And when you are, I mean, when you're coming in as a founder and you're asking for money, I don't actually agree with that. I think there's a reframe that needs to happen. And I work with my female founders on that, but you believe that you're coming in to ask for money. I actually believe that those VCs, and I know this is true because I talked to them, they cannot exist without you. No, they can't. They can't. But as a founder, you come in feeling like you are less than smaller than the big VCs. Then you put on gender, you put on race, you put on, history, social economic history, you get further and further and smaller and smaller in that sort of differential power dynamic of which that bigger power is aware. And that is when those abuses occur is when the person who is exerting the power feels like they have so much more. Yeah. So, That's so true. it's, it's an issue and it's something that we're certainly working on and helping our female funders to, you know, recognize, you know, we just had this conversation actually last week in our, in our junior tide circle of please don't accept invitations to have dinner with an investor you don't know yet. Yeah. I, uh, (laughs) someone told me that and I'm like, I've been an entrepreneur for over 20 plus years and no VC has ever, ever invited me to dinner. Unless right. they have put money in my company. And even right. then, they're so damn cheap that it hardly ever happens. Right. And so, so when someone told me that, I'm like, really? Huh. Not cool. Yes. Or inviting the female founder to their house. Oh, I, I have never been to a VC. Oh, my God. Right. right. So, uh, yeah. And I tell you what happens when they get there. And it's not business. No, so, no. It's awful. That's just ridiculous. You know, but a lot of you know, maybe younger or naive or, you know, less experienced founders don't, they think, Oh, well, that's how it's done here. No. So, you know, we literally have those kinds of conversations as well as the, you know, how to put together your pitch deck and, you know, sort of all the things that everybody needs to know, but there's this additional layer 
that a female founder just needs to be aware of, that there are folks out there who will try to take advantage of what they perceive as a differential power dynamic to their advantage, not to support you as a founder and give you money. Yeah. Yeah. And and more importantly, the support that you need as a founder beyond the money. You know, the connections, the resources, the introductions, the hiring, the people. Yeah. Yeah. So all of those things. So we <clears throat> we work with our female founders to give them those resources, those learnings, those connections, introducing them to investors who have a proven track record of investing in female founders. Um, and giving them those connections and resources so that they can be successful, even though there are some you know points against them. <clears throat> Excuse me. Indeed. Indeed. So. Wow. So, so that's is that so so there's your main company, mm-hmm. Think Results. Yes. And then there's Changing Tides. Is that is the Changing Tides like a is it a nonprofit? Is it what kind of is like a trade group? How does the mechanics of that work? So it's a membership-based organization. Okay. Um, so we do have free programs like our Happy Hour, which we literally, you know, sort of spun up out of thin air in response to COVID, and just to give people a chance to, like, oh my goodness, what's going on here? Right. Um, and then our signature program is our Changing Tide Circles. Um, which, as I said, is really just a mastermind. It's eight to 12 women uh, mastermind smashed up with an incubator. And it's really research-based curriculum designed for female founders and the things that they need. So it's all of the things you would expect to find in an incubator with a female founder lens on it. What are some so of that, the, what, what are some of the unique characteristics of that that you have to do different? I mean, I don't want to say do differently, Right. That, but like, just, <laughs> yeah. So like, how does like it work example, we, differently? We just did, uh, the, the one we just did in May was about building your cap table and who do you want to have as investors on your cap table and how do you find those investors and who, how do you research them and approach them? And that's where we have the conversation about, you know, please, 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 you know, it's the first time you're about to meet a, an investor and they say, let's meet for dinner or let's meet for drinks please don't say yes. And especially if you try to say, you know, I'm, I'm busy, which is kind of hard to do right now, but you know, I'm, and it, you can't meet for drinks or dinner. So that's helpful, but you know, I'm busy. Can we meet at two o'clock in your office or can we meet at two o'clock at the local Starbucks and they are resistant? You should have red flags going off. And I said, furthermore, if you're, if you're concerned at all, you know, bring it to the group and we'll, give you feedback because I said there's a there's certain folks that I can't tell you you should avoid but if you bring me the information I can have a separate conversation with you so right and I said you know bring it to the sisterhood and see what everyone else says do they all say this sounds like a great idea do it or do they all go oh danger danger will Robinson that's not a good idea totally totally because it's much easier to avoid those situations than to extract yourself out of them. So, you know, it's the classic how to, you know, put together your investor cap table information, but there's a few additional things that are unique for female founders that we have to make sure that we're giving them the tools to make decisions about that. You know, how uncomfortable am I feeling on a scale of one to five? If it's like a full on five, it's probably a no. If it's a three or a four, maybe you want to bring it to one of us and we can kind of hash it out and see if this seems like it's safe because there is an element of safety that we have to consider. Um, and things like, you know, women get asked different questions by investors. So helping them learn how to turn those questions around, which the research shows can increase their funding by 14 times. Wow. To change a prevention oriented question into a promotion oriented question will increase your funding by 14 times. Wow. So giving them that information and recognizing, okay, you're getting put into that smaller and smaller pool of further and further away of the ideal entrepreneur in these questions, you need to back them up and get them in promotion oriented land where you're talking about vision and growth and future strategies, as opposed to how you're going to protect and defend your business from competition. 
because women and men get asked very different kinds of questions by male and female investors. So there's things like that that are very unique to the female founder experience. So we try to, here's the data, here's what that means, here's how you work with that and turn it around. It's always about how do we change the tides, right? That's a recurring theme for us, right? Ah, you're, you're, you're pretty good at marketing. <laughs> you know, how do we turn this around? Right, because, right, right. you know, you, we are trying to change the structure, definitely at Changing Tides, but you need to raise money now. Yeah. <laughs> We're probably not going to change it this week. No, so, that's going to take time, yeah. Given this is the structure, here's how you navigate that structure and be successful anyways, because there are plenty of female founders who have been very successful. So it is possible. So we're trying to move them much like I do with the launching for revenue, 92% of high growth businesses fail. So I'm trying to move my clients into the 8%, right? Same thing with my female founders. I'm trying to move them into that 2%, right? Yeah. Because there's 2% who are getting funding. Yeah. Yeah. So how do we get you into that category? So that's really what I'm focused on. Yeah, I mean, clearly there's two ways to do that. Get them in the 2% or expand expand the yes. 2%. And I'm trying to do both. Yeah, you know, yeah. Investors well, yeah and I, it's hard, right? I mean, it's interesting. I had a conversation with a banker um, last summer, and I was at this she-she lunch for very wealthy individuals, of which I am not, but you know, she wants to support Changing Tides. And she said, you know, it has never occurred to the women in this room that they could invest in other women as a part of their portfolio. They're going to buy another house. They're going to buy another piece of art. They're going to buy a boat. Really? Huh. It has never occurred to them to do angel investing. Hmm. Never occurred to them. So, you know, we're having conversations about how to do that and sort of introduce that concept in a way that's, you know, had I really never thought of, you know, I never thought of that. Interesting. Huh. Because there's plenty of, well, I wouldn't say plenty, but there's a lot of uh, minority investors, funds that try to, um, you know, invest back in, in into the minority entrepreneur ecosystem, or at mm -hmm. least, you know, they take a look at deals that they, you know, they, they think might be good for, for their community. But never thought that, like, successful women that have money to invest wouldn't think Oh, I could put this in female founders. <laughs> yeah, apparently they don't. You know, it's this wow. very traditional kind of portfolio and asset management of like, well, I'll buy another house, I'll buy another piece of property, I'll buy another apartment building. But they don't think, oh, well, I could put, you know, ten thousand or a hundred thousand or a million dollars into a female founder to help her business or put it into a fund that supports female founders. She said it's just it's just not part of the traditional portfolio analysis. So we're having conversations about how to introduce that concept. And she said, a lot of these women have been very successful businesswomen. So they have a lot of value to give back. Oh, like, sure. Not just oh, money, sure. but, you know, access, networks, support, yeah. you know, knowledge, yeah. experience. And she said, and they would love to do that. It just never crosses their mind. So we're trying to do, you know, both sides of that equation. Right? I, I feel a changing tides fund coming. <laughs> It's a long-term play, but I, you know, I, I mean, you know I'm, I'm a sometimes a pretty dense guy, but I can pretty much feel it coming on. <laughs> exactly. Which is a great idea, by the way. Fantastic mm -hmm. idea. Because one of the things that I've done over the last couple of years is I help uh, professional athletes uh, with their foundations, but I also mentor them in how to invest in technology companies. And... All of them are, you know, minority, um, come from varying backgrounds, but a lot of poverty and institutional racism, as well as just don't have access. I, th I think the thing that, that that's universal is that the access to deals and the access to the knowledge to make the decision. And a lot of the times, you know, we'll, we'll try to do uh, programs for kids to teach them about entrepreneurship. And typically they're in communities that don't have the knowledge or more importantly, it's like, Oh, I didn't know I could do that. You know, like they, yeah. they look at, you know, the, 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 the players is my only way out of this situation of institutional racism, generational poverty, and no opportunity is to be really good at sports. And they see people make it and they're like, okay, you know, I got to do that. 
But a lot of these players are kind of like, well, you know what? You got to have a backup plan. And my backup plan is being an investor. My backup plan is X, Y, Z, right? And so it's it's when that switch flips and they realize that the access is one of the most important things is access to the knowledge and the deal flow. Um, they start to, these players, they start to realize like, oh, wow, like I can participate in this that I never normally would have been able to it's not because they don't have the money. It's because they don't have the access. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's really power. I, th- cause I've seen that with kids too. When, when, when you teach a kid about entrepreneurship, which is a life skill, like all the pitching, it's just, everyone should learn entrepreneur skills just by default. And then they start to think about, Oh, well, wow. I could actually do this. It's just the light goes off in their brain and there's still, systematic racism challenges struggles but what that but what they start to realize is that i can get a little more control like i can do something and 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 the fact that you can do something and have like a plan and like there's an option is is <laughs> it's it's just huge and yeah i think what you're doing is 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 opportunity getting the knowledge out there but making those opportunities because a lot of times success everyone's like what's the secret to success right um and it's hard work but a lot of luck and a lot of luck is having opportunity like because mm-hmm. you can never you can never make there's never going to be equal outcome on anything because the, the, the variables are too wise but access to equal opportunity is what raises all boats just it's proven like hands down so right it's yeah. very powerful but options is key you know like mm-hmm. that moment when people realize that they have options and that there are opportunities that they hadn't thought of before i see that too i do coaching on the side as well and you know in in people's eyes and i see that at changing tides when they go you know like they get it that there's another option here i mean one of our community members she was at the very first female founder happy hour calls that we had and she has a has a, a travel business it's based in italy well <laughs> she was kind of upset yeah oh, uh, for a good reason she has now pivoted her business in the last few weeks i'm going to be doing a webinar with her on june 3rd i believe um to talk about her experience, but she has now created a business that is so much stronger and has much more buffer in the past eight weeks because she had a moment of a being able to sort of let her hair down and really get in touch with how terrible this was going to be for her business if she persisted. And also realizing that, okay, my business just blew up. So like all the cards are on the table. So how can I reform the cards? Cause they're all, on the floor, basically. How can I reform them? And she now has this business that is so much stronger and is doing fantastically well. Wow. You know, and it's a, I think the safe container and space to go, I am not okay. I am struggling with this. And then, you know, she got great support and ideas and validation that yes, this really sucks. And B, we're here to help you. And what do you need? And from there, you know, she could, you know, straighten up, stand up and move forward and create that option and opportunity for herself. So I think you need to have sort of, I think both are important. At least that's what I've seen is that having that safe space is key, especially as an entrepreneur, because we, you can't go to your team and say, I'm really worried that we're going to go under. Yeah. It's hard. Have that conversation with your team. It's leader. Leadership's like one of the most loneliest jobs. Uh, when you're in charge of anything, it's, it's, it's hard. It's just, there's nobody else that's sort of in the same situation that you are other than another CEO or a founder. Uh, and one of the other things that we, we found when we, um, teach kids about entrepreneurship is that the message gets through a lot quicker and a lot stronger when they see themselves and the people that are teaching them and talking to them and mentoring them and never understood why that was the case until I started like doing this stuff with, with kids and players and teaching them entrepreneurship. Cause I'm like, 
well, I would go, of course, I'm like the MC, you know, and I'd go and start talking about it. And the first day, you know, the kids are just like most kids, like, ah, you know, a little bit like apprehensive, don't want to talk. And then, you know, I would bring some minority entrepreneurs, women, minority in the community, and they start to like look at them and go, huh, they look like me. And, and, and you hope in the world that that doesn't matter, but that matters so much. And the reason it matters so much is because they can see that there's a path to that, that yes. they're like them. That means they know what they've gone through. That means they've talked the same talk. They walked, they've gone, had all those experiences. And I could talk till I am blue in the face about hard work and entrepreneurship and how to pitch and the whole, the whole thing. And I'm hundred percent right with all the right data and it will just not get through because yes. I'm a tall white guy with a beard staring down at them. They have no context of who, like, I don't know what they've gone through. Right. I do, but I, I can't, I mean, I can relate and I can be empathetic and I can have all that sort of stuff, but I can never know. And that's the thing that, that, that is really one of the, one of the most powerful lessons that I've learned about, the Me Too movement, Black Lives Matter, nonprofits, uh, being an ally and all these sort of things. It's like your perception is different, but that doesn't mean you can't Mm -hmm. be empathetic and compassionate. It's just ideally the people leading the movement need to be the people that are impacted by whatever the thing is. And as as an ally, you need to like let them lead and you need to be like, help as much as you can and do whatever you can, but it's their fight. Mm-hmm. It's, it's gotta be there because they're the ones that are being impacted. And yeah. as you just have, and, and, and that's just like one of the most valuable lessons I've learned doing all this stuff uh, with kids, because then you see the spark. When you see a kid <laughs> that when they come in day one and by day three, they're pitching a medical device to a bunch of like, simulated investors and they're a middle schooler mm-hmm. and you see the spark and you're just like, I mean, it brings tears to my eyes. I just can't, it's just so, I, you know, it, yeah. it, it, <laughs> I guess it's gotta be the same with, 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 with you and changing yes. tides where. Yes. Yeah. The impact I so huge. Have that experience and, you know, that moment of, you know, realization and excitement and when, you know, I, I first started to, it actually started when I started doing launches because when I, when I realized that other people were seeing the same, because I tend to, I'm very good at seeing the future and the vision and like that's second nature for me, which I've learned through whatever that Myers-Briggs thing is, is sort of rare. <laughs> it, it just, it like, it happens to me all the time. So yeah. I'm like, oh, well, but this is where we need to go. And then like, come on, let's go. Um, but when I got a little better at explaining sort of what I saw, not just assuming everybody else saw it, because I assumed everyone else could do what I could do. It was as clear as, you know, bell for me. But when they see what I see is possible in that moment, and that happens in launches, it happens, you know, when I work with female founders, it happens in my individual coaching practice that there's this moment, whether it's in a business situation, those are still humans. And most of them, and then, you know, (laughs) or individual situation when they get that vision and they see themselves in that vision, I call it crack cocaine. I'm like, I cannot get enough of those moments in my lifetime. Like I, those are peak experience moments for me because I see the vision really quickly. So most of my work is trying to help other people see what I see and what's possible and then putting themselves in there and I put them in there and I put them in there and I put them in there and then they go, whoa. And I go, okay, I'm done. Yeah. Because now it's all going to happen because now they see themselves and they see the possibility. And I think a key piece of that is I have to be able to know that people like me have done this, whether that means my socioeconomic experience my racial experience, my gender experience, my whatever experience, whatever it is that you identify as, you need to make sure that someone that you can see someone who's been there. And then you go, yeah, I can do that. And it's possible. Yeah. Right. And it is so important. Yeah. 
it's based on neurobiology actually because we have to be able to bond with people who look like us in order to actually survive because bears don't look much like us no and you know as part of our tribal heritage right we stuck with the tribe and those stories that our tribe told us kept us alive and we are literally the descendants of the ones that told the best stories right and, and who did not find our way into the forest from the tribe right right and and that's in our dna and it's hard it's it's what all the bias stuff i mean yes the, all the work that they do which 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 thankfully we can overcome with training and try to you know see the humanity in others and see everyone is the same um which is hard, again hard to do in 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 times of stress anxiety and when the world's sort of closing in on you you tend to go to the people that you've either look like you or act like you or have you've been with so this everything kind of pe people tend to be like isolating more yes and that was a, definitely a big concern in the beginning of the pandemic because many uh, vcs were saying that they were going to go back to relying on warm introductions which traditionally has excluded underrepresented founders yeah because we don't have the networks yeah to create those warm introductions and so a lot of folks, um, you know, from from um, All Raise, 500 Startups, Christina Sai, um, and Pam Costa from All Raise were, you know, really very forward about let's be very, very careful about going back to an isolationist tendency in VC and relying on warm networks because it's going to erase all of the progress we've made. And you know, they didn't, they talked a little bit about this, but a big part of this for me is not only is it the right thing to do, sure, like, you know, I, I'll, you know, raise the, the flag. It's also the smart thing to do. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Investing right. in female founders it provides you much better return than investing in male founders. No offense. Investing no, in no, more diverse teams, you know, yeah, it, it is a better business decision. And there's, data after data and research report after report to show this and it sort of gets swept under the rug and you know quite honestly most vcs make less than the s p oh no they're awful no just look right. at the, the data it's a so yeah it's a it's a it's a it's part of the reason i you know i was part of 500 startups and batch 14 mm -hmm. with lab sensor solutions and part of what i really liked about the philosophy and this was before Dave McClure had his problem, which really bummed me out, to be honest, because I actually looked up to him as someone yeah. that's like, you know what, what you're saying is really great. And I to I agree with, but then, you know, everyone has this and part of themselves. And unfortunately, his mm -hmm. and was not what I would consider the proper way to go for anyone. Yeah. Like, I was super disappointed. I really, I mean, just it just like, really? Damn it. He was you part know? of that summer of 2017. Yeah, the part of that whole thing, right? But the thing that I liked and, and that I, I firmly believe like that you could you could make a criteria if you have a standard and you could filter all these companies through a standard. And if they hit the standard, you could put them in an urn and you could randomly pick balls out of the urn and you would be just as good as all these smart VCs because that's mm -hmm. what it is. It's just a numbers game. And and I, I, I just always sort of been like. When are they going to have the random urn, you know? Because I think everyone can be an entrepreneur. There's no real barrier other than the barriers that we put in there. Yes. And this is not, this is a job anyone can do. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter if you're black, brown, blue, yellow, green, who you identify with. It's all fundamentally should have be accessible. And right. I'm so glad that you're doing this with, with change. It's a mindset. I mean, I do think yeah. there are some people who don't deal well with the, I mean, I always joke that entrepreneurs are missing the uh, risk gene. Like it's just missing in our it, brain. It like is, it, it, is just empty. Yeah, it's not expressed that often. <laughs> right. You know, because you know, if I sat down and, you know, when I first started, I mean, literally when I started Think Results, I had some very influential in Silicon Valley guys tell me that I was crazy. You're starting a business in the middle of a recession. We still haven't gotten past 2001. This was 2003. We still haven't really recovered. 
you're a woman, you don't know anyone, like, go get a job. Don't be crazy. These were some very influential guys. And I actually, it was actually perfect because I thought, oh, don't tell me what can't be done. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the one thing all of my bosses have always known about me. If you want to get Jennifer riled up, tell her that it can't be done. Yeah. And then just back out quickly get out of the way. she's going to come out of the gates raring to prove you wrong 100% very negative about the whole process so you know it's just you just have to do what you have to do and I think some people don't well I think I have a fair amount of colleagues who are still in corporate like they would have had that conversation and they would have said you're absolutely right I'm going to go get a job because that sort of missing risk gene I'm like no no I don't even see risk when you tell me it can't be done. All I see is I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to prove you wrong because you are wrong. And I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to show you why you're wrong. And I think for folks who have a normal risk gene, they listen to reason. I don't listen to reason. When I have a vision, there's no amount of arguing me out of it. I'm just going to do it. So I think there is a certain mindset that I think can be difficult to kind of overcome if you don't already kind of have that leaning. But I don't think that's related to your sex or your gender or your race or your background. It's a, it's a way of thinking. It's the, what, what is it? The entrepreneurial ethos? It's the entrepreneur ethos. <laughs> and you know what? That's a great place to end. <laughs> so, <laughs> Thank you for the great, uh, great interview and uh, the shout out and, you know, changing tides sounds this is like a great, great thing to do and more people should be doing it. And yeah, look forward to seeing more of it. Stay safe. And uh, oh, yeah, definitely. Hopefully, hopefully one day we can actually get coffee. <laughs> Real coffee in, Real, person, in person, like around a table. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learn something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur and frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better. At Simple Mobile, you get the no-contract advantage. Those other mobile companies make you think you're in control, but you're really not. Simple Mobile is different. You can get a powerful nationwide 5G network all without a contract. It's the reliability you need when you need it, with no mystery fees, no activation fees, and no contract ever. Simple Mobile. Out with the old, in with the simple. 5G-capable device and SIM required. Actual availability, coverage, and speed may vary. 5G network not available in all areas. 5G upload speeds not yet available.